You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Please, yeah. I know it seems a little counterintuitive to sit down after Joanne lets her rip on a Sunday morning. You want to go lift weights or something instead. Amen. There we go. Maybe somebody else wants to come up and preach right now. Well, if it hasn't been uh, evident already, I am a huge sports fan. I probably take things like rivalries with the Cougars too, steri- too seriously. And I, I pride myself as a sports fan on being part of what I like to call the triple zeros club. You know, those, those folks that we stay to the end of the game no matter what. Now, there has been a, a few times where I have been a little bit perhaps short-sighted in my, uh, my sports viewing habits where I have compromised my triple zero-ness. Uh, most notably, a, cu- a couple of stories uh, a few years ago in the Fiesta Bowl, Oklahoma and Boise State were playing. Oklahoma, this perennial power that has national championships and this upstart Boise State and Boise State had hung with them and late in the fourth quarter they throw a touchdown or they throw an interception that gets returned for a touchdown. I'm like, oh, that could have been so great. Turn off the TV. That ball game is over. I come into the office the next day and my colleagues are going, that was the most amazing finish to a football game I ever seen. I can't believe Boise State won. I was like, no, you guys, Oklahoma intercepted a ball and took it back for a touchdown and lost. I mean, they hung in there the whole game. They're like, no, they, they won. I'm like, they did not. So we had to consult, we had to consult the, the internet because if you can't trust the internet, then who can you trust? <laughs> and what we found was, what I found was that sure enough, Boise State had come back and won the game. That after I had turned it, turned off the television in the next 10 minutes, they had scored three times, end up winning the game. Fast forward to this past year, I'm feeling pretty optimistic about your Seattle Mariners, and I, I pack up my son, Felix Hernandez is, is on, the, on the hill, and I'm like, buddy, you are going to see one of the best pitchers you're ever going to see in your lifetime. And of course, that was the kiss of death, because we go, and in the first four innings, Felix gives up eight runs. Carson, who's two, was starting to get a little restless, so I'm like, all right, buddy, we're out of here. So we go. And the next day I come in and, and uh, Becky here, uh, you know, I hear her talking, goes, I can't believe the Mariners came back last night. I was like, no, <laughs> no, they, they did not. They did not. And, and sure enough, they had, they had come back. I think that proved to be the team's lone highlight this past season. But it shows how I can tend to be a little bit short-sighted based on what happens in, in an individual isolated moment. An intercept, interception says, game over. We're down eight, only three innings into the game, game over. I make a decision, and it, it's a bit short-sighted. And there's no doubt that I can be short-sighted in my faith as well. I go and I, and I read the Bible, and, and I'll pick it up, and I'm just looking in that moment for it to, to somehow tell me how to make my life better. To somehow make me feel better about who I am or what I'm doing. Instead of looking to the scriptures to, to help me understand the character and the faithfulness of the living God. 
Even more so, there's, there's times that I try to pray, and, and I do, and, and perhaps I even pray in earnest for something. But then as soon as I, I finish that prayer and say amen, I immediately then go about constructing my own answer to that which I just prayed. Perhaps that sounds familiar to you. My faith is short-sighted based on how I feel in any particular moment. The hope that I think is found in our text this morning is an antidote to short-sightedness. It invites us to see the big picture of a faithful God. Of a God that says, I'm going to send one that can give you perspective. That can give you a, a word. That can, that can help you see the big picture of a God that promises a group of people that he will be close to them. Now, last week, George continued this series that we've been doing in Deuteronomy by looking at this, this second big sermon or speech of Moses, challenging us to consider ways that we might live a little more open-handed. And so we continue our series this morning titled Living God, uh, Living Life. Or is it Living Life, Living God? Anyway, you get where we're headed. As we continue through... Uh, this this final book of the Pentateuch. Now, what we're going to read here in a few minutes, a, the problem really sets up our text. Is that the these people, this group of people called Israel, uh, have been promised this this land, and they are they are beginning to move into this land. But but this promise that they know has not yet been fulfilled. There are people in between, and so what the book of Deuteronomy in in uh, this second sermon are trying to do is is put a little bit more form to how these people are to live as God's people to give them a little bit more I- instruction in how they might know how to relate uh, to God and interact uh, as as people who are God's and one of the things that's really clear uh, at the beginning of chapter 18 is that the Lord is saying you are to be different. The people that are all around the Israelites are, are looking to um, other, other gods, other forms of divination or magic to somehow figure out what's going to happen in the future. That was the, the big sexy temptation was to, to be able to know what is going to happen. And they had all sorts of methods on uh, somehow being able to do that. And the Lord is saying, look, don't be like them. Tempting as it may be. And perhaps tempting for us as it may be as well. It's a a thing that we can identify with, right? We want to know that everything is going to be okay. And what we're about to see is the Lord's answer to this request of how will we know it's going to be okay? How will we know what's going to happen? And so uh, I invite you to turn you know, in the Bibles in front of you to Deuteronomy 18. And we're going to begin at the 15th verse. And I invite you to stand if you are able, per the tradition that we have here at UPC of, of speaking the word out loud together. And so we will read uh, chapter 18, verses 15 through 22 together. Uh, again, it's page 153. 
The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You shall heed such a prophet. This is what you requested on the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, If I hear the voice of the Lord my God any more, or even again see this great fire, I will die. Then the Lord replied to me, They are right in what they have said. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet. You shall speak to them everything that I command. Anyone who does not heed the words that the prophet shall speak in my name, I myself will hold accountable. But any prophet who speaks in the name of other gods or presumes to speak in my name a word that I have not commanded the prophet to speak, the prophet shall die. You may say to yourself, how can we recognize a word the Lord has not spoken? If a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, but the thing does not take place or prove true, it is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Do not be frightened by it. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Please be seated. This is all grace. Essentially, what is promised here is through this prophet and through the words that the Lord will give this prophet, he's guaranteeing them that you will remain as those intimately associated with the living God. So all these things around you and all these things that you worry about, don't sweat it because I will transcend at this moment. I will raise up one whose words I will put in his mouth that will prove to be true, prove to be real, will be with you. So let's make a few reflections on this, this text, on this second sermon attributed to Moses. What I want us to see, as, as I've talked about short-sighted, is how this invites us to see the much bigger picture. Now, when we think about the Israelites and their relation to Moses, we see how they might be tempted towards short-sightedness. See, Moses was such an important and, uh, and, and perhaps gifted leader in terms of what the Lord did through him. We think about this, right? That it was through Moses that the Lord rescued these people from under the oppression of Egypt. We think about it, Moses being that, that one who interceded on behalf of this people after that unfortunate incident of the golden calf. Moses is the one that has mediated God's presence and will for this transient group, leaving them perhaps to wonder, what will we do when Moses is gone? What do we do without Moses as our leader? Is everything going to be all right? We know what this is like, right? We ask questions, what's going to happen to the Huskies beyond Don James? 
What's going to happen when Bill Gates leaves Microsoft? What will happen to our church if a beloved senior pastor leaves? The question of what is next can often be a big anxiety-inducing question because we simply want to know it's going to be all right. Is it going to be all right? Or is everything going to change? How can we grab control and make sure that things are going to be or stay the way that we want them to be? I know that one of the ways that I get tricked into thinking that I can somehow uh, control the future, a short-sighted way uh, that, that this plays out in my life is through money. And certainly I've had that experience of, of walking into the grocery store and seeing these, these numbers that communicate about a jackpot that would be six, seven, eight, ideally even nine figures of payout should you have the right numbers. And I find myself in that moment daydreaming about what it would be like to own such a fortune. I, I, I wouldn't have to worry about anything, right? My kids, their college would be taken care of. I'd, I'd know that I'd be able to afford tickets in the new Husky Stadium. <laughs> I, I know uh, that, that I could take care of, of any, any seminary debt. It would be a nice thing. So as I start thinking about this and I'm ready to pull out my dollar bill to play my, my numbers uh, on on these jackpots, I, I find myself starting this perhaps a, a, a absurd conversation that starts something along the lines of, Lord, if I win, I promise I'll be faithful in stewarding the money. And I'm not one that claims to, to often hear clearly the voice of God, but I promise you that right as I'm starting that conversation, as loud as the still small voice can be, what I hear is, you're not faithful with it now. <laughs> touche, Lord, touche. <laughs> My short-sighted desire to somehow grab control. Yet the Lord responds by, to, to his people uh, as, as they're saying, don't, don't speak to us. Don't, don't let us see this fire. We have a way that we, we want to know, that we want to hear you. And God, in God's grace, says, okay. What they're saying is a good thing. You don't need to turn to magic and divination. Rather, look and listen for the one that I will raise up from among you. But don't get caught up in this short-sightedness. See the big picture. God is inviting us to a bigger picture in what we might be able to see here. This calls to mind an image for me through the 1980s uh, classic Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Has anyone seen Ferris? Anyone? Anyone seen Ferris? All right. Good. Some of you caught that joke. That was awesome. The image that, that comes to mind are that this, this trio of friends, they're in Chicago and they go downtown and they're enjoying all that downtown Chicago has to offer and they end up at, at the Chicago Institute of Art where one of the more neurotic characters in the film, a guy named Cameron, ends up standing uh, right in front of Seurat's masterpiece, um, A Sunday on La Grande Jatte. 
And this is a piece by Seurat that is post-impressionistic that employs uh, a lot of color theory. So it, he uses he uses pixels of different dots, much like you would discover if if you got really really close to your TV and you just see like three different color dots of some place. Don't do that; it's really bad for your eyes. <laughs> just trust me on this one. But it, that's that's what this painting is. Is is it is a series of of little brush strokes that are pixels that comprise to make a much bigger picture. And and so this image for me is is what happens for Cameron is he ends up honing in on maybe three or four of these little brush strokes. Yet it is only when one stands back and is able to see how those three brush strokes comprised with thousands of others, turn out to make a masterpiece. So for me, the invitation to see beyond Moses and to look and listen for this other prophet is an invitation to simply step back, you people of Israel, and look for, anticipate, hope for a better future that I will show you in this prophet. It's a great invitation for us as it was for them. How do we reduce what is in front of us to a few pixels that we trade for enjoying the masterpiece of the bigger picture? Next, both implicit and explicit in this text is the promise of a word. And the promise of a word is for clarity and direction. Verses 17 and 18, it says, The Lord replied, To Moses, they are right in what they have said. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, and I will put my words in the mouth of that prophet. Now, this idea of a prophet having having words, that's really the defining characteristic of what makes a prophet. This one who is equipped with words from God. We think of this image of Jeremiah and Jeremiah 1 reaching out and touching the lips of this boy prophet saying, my words will be in your mouth. We think of the angel in Isaiah that, that touches the coal to Isaiah's lips and then says, go and tell. But the words of a prophet are not merely for us uh, to hear. The words of a prophet are intended uh, for us to take in and to shape our imagination. To, to give us an idea of what this bigger picture actually looks like. It actually takes some of the guesswork out of faith. Is your faith a bunch of guesswork? When really what the Lord has delivered to us in these words of the prophet Moses, of the prophet Isaiah, of Jeremiah, and certainly of the prophet Jesus, are words that shape our imagination. They give us something concrete. I think that's the gift of the, of the list of names that Ray read for us earlier. That we get to celebrate these names because we know there is a bigger picture than just the moment that these saints lived among us. There is a reason to celebrate. This past Thursday, many of us gathered in this room to celebrate the life and witness of our sister Madeline Brenner. And anyone who is at that service was simply moved to live a life of more faith and hope and gratitude. 
Because even in a death that certainly in my assessment came way too early, I found myself seeing a bigger picture as Madeline's friends and family talked about the great hope that they had. No longer was this hope an abstraction. I heard people up front communicating that this bigger picture is real. The people of Israel in our text ask the Lord anticipate their question of how will we recognize that a word a word the Lord has not spoken. And in essence, what he says is, if it's true, it will happen. If it's true, it will come to pass. Our hope is true because it has come to pass. If we fast forward, we see one prophet. Questioning another prophet in Matthew 11, John the Baptist is sitting in prison going, is this the one? Asking his disciples, is this the one or do we need uh, to look for someone else? What a great witness to a, a healthy skepticism, a healthy doubt that questions. Jesus, in replying to John's disciples, was not threatened by this. He merely responds by saying, go tell John what you see. The blind have received their sight, the lame walk. The sick are cured, the deaf, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached. You see, the picture of redemption is expanding. The picture is getting bigger. The promise of freedom and redemption is no longer merely tied to a piece of land. It is about the healing and reconciliation of the world. And it's true because it has taken place. Jesus, before Pilate in John 18, says that he came to testify to the truth, a truth that would happen. Pilate famously responds by asking, what is truth? It's a question that I'm sympathetic to Pilate on because I think he joins those ancient Israelites in asking a question that is out of a momentary short-sightedness. You see, the truth, the ultimate fulfillment of this prophet that we're told of in Deuteronomy 18 comes to us in Jesus Christ. In what the Gospel of John tells us is the Word. The Word that was made flesh, that lived died and raised the word that came from the Father, full of grace and truth to restore God's good creation and to heal the broken and comfort the brokenhearted. And there was nothing, not even the cross, that could keep that truth from happening. And so our faith transcends any short-sightedness. It transcends a given moment. And through the, the words of a prophet that shape our imagination, we are invited to a bigger picture. That includes whatever it is is before you in this very moment and in this very day. But it is a word of hope because it says, anticipate a bigger future. One that is not yet fulfilled. We live in the already and the not yet. God's promise is to be with us, but it has not yet been fulfilled. 
And it's good news that it is. And our proof is Christ in him crucified because not even that cross could keep this prophet from rising. Let us pray. Lord, help us to know the reality of this promise more than we do right now. Help us to take this to heart and to know your great faithfulness and your love uh, through your words that come to us from your text, uh, from you and in our community. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.